All right, welcome back to the Bibliotheques podcast, folks. My co-host and friend, Cody, and myself are continuing on in our journey through Jeffrey Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. And Cody, I just got to say, this section, I just was really missing some of like the raunchy stuff from previous episodes. And like, maybe not, not so much like raunchy, but just like funny stories. And I feel validated in that opinion because our dear host that's traveling along with us seems to also be missing that kind of thing. It's really funny that the host is really the biggest avatar for the reader where if he smells that a story isn't going a way that he likes, he'll just be like, all right, that's enough. That story sucked. You're not winning. Moving on. Miss Prioress, what are you thinking today? Like He'll literally just do that. Yeah, no joke. Okay, so today we are covering a number of stories. Um, I think previously the most we'd done in an episode is three. Um, and today we are doing the Prioress's tale. We've got one tale from our man Chaucer himself. He goes into another tale afterwards. We'll talk about that. We've got the monk doing like just this bizarre format of like telling a like heavy air quote story. We are. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's <laughs> let's cross the monk bridge when we get there and just kind of dive into the prioress's tale. Yeah. But the last I mean, just wanted to say like the last two tales that we're doing, um, we're finishing off today's podcast with the nuns priests tale. And finally, the physician's tale. So for all of you who are following along with us in the reading, that is what we're getting to today. But yes, Cody, like you said, we can start today with the prioress's tale. And why don't you get us going with words of the host to the shipman and the prioress? Right. So before we start, Again, a lot of these titles I've had to look up. Not a not ashamed to say it. Didn't know what a prioress was. Prioress is basically the head of a convent where nuns worship. This woman's convent specifically is in praise of the Virgin Mary. And so in these words before the prioress's prologue, a lot of it is her basically almost doing a hymn to the Virgin Mary and extols the Virgin and um, the mother of Jesus and the whitest lily flower. And it just kind of preps us for the hymn or for the story that's going to come. Yeah. Can I also just say like part of, so I love the host in this story because he starts this section. If you remember from last week, the story we left off on last time was from the shipman who tells this story of like this monk who bamboozles this guy sleeps with his wife and everything and i i just love that the host is like wow great story <laughs> that was fantastic uh don't trust monks everybody uh prioress how about we hear from you next and this prioress like you were saying cody this like long hymn that she's doing is like at least to me i start reading this i'm like oh this is gonna be a fucking buzzkill <laughs> like oh my god you're right, Paul, especially if you consider anti-Semitism a buzzkill. Which I do. <laughs> Which I do, too. So, you know, here here we go, folks. Any 
please. Uh, that was that was that was obviously a joke, but you know, the anti-Semitism in the story to come is not cool, and we will discuss it in kind. So there is a town in Asia uh, that is predominantly Christian, but a portion of the town is Jewish. There's a lot of you know descriptions of the Jews that we will not be covering um, in this, but basically the Jews live in their isolated portion of the town. The Christians uh, live in their portion of the town. It's pretty segregated. The Christian children pretty much feel comfortable enough to walk free to and from school. One of them is um, a younger uh, boy. Um, I think he's around 10. And he hears the older boys learning a hymn uh, called O Alma Redemptoris. He asks one of the older boys what it is. Basically, it's a song dedicated to the Virgin Mary. Now, this little boy specifically lives in a house that is very dedicated to Jesus's mother, Mary. And so he latches onto this and he memorizes it verse by verse. And he really wants to learn all of it so that he can sing it on Christmas Day. Um, so every day the child walks up and down the Jewish street um, because that's how he gets from school to his house. And he's just not afraid to sing about the Virgin Mary. And that's great. But one day, uh, Satan whispers into the ears of the Jewish population that this boy is a disgrace and a like a desecrator of Jewish holy laws. And the Jews conspire to hire a murderer and kill the boy, which they do. It is extremely fucked up and not what you want. Wasn't having fun reading this one. The boy's mother, this no. widow, again, also is basically like, hey, where's my son? He didn't come home. And he's and she even goes to like the Jewish part of town and she's asking them, hey, have you seen my son? And they all lie, even because everyone was in on the conspiracy of Jews to kill a small boy. Oh, and oh boy. Um, eventually they find his body in a gutter abandoned. So they bring his body to the to the abbey, to the cathedral. And the priest is like, this is so messed up. But then the boy's body is still able to sing, even though his throat was like slashed to the bone. And I was a little confused by this. Well, I don't know if you dug any deeper into this. Basically, he's singing that there's a grain on his tongue. Yeah. And if they remove the grain, that's when he'll stop singing and he can be buried, which they do. They basically see it as a sign of a miracle. This young boy's dedication to God that he was able to sing even past his death. So the, the child is officially proclaimed a martyr um, and a tomb of marble is built as kind of like a memorial to him, uh, whose name was Hugh of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. uh, this story is extremely anti-Semitic, borderline blood libel, the ancient libel against Jewish people that they would take young boys and kill them for their blood in Hebrew rituals. It's mm -hmm. basically just a couple details away from that. Super, super not what you want. No, um, no, not at all. I this story, first of all, before we get into some of the more like more problematic stuff, the thing, and this is the way that the story like opens up. And I'm just wondering, Cody, why Asia? I think because it was implying that this Christian town exists in like Turkey. Okay. All right. That or makes... or Turkey or Russia. Okay. Okay. Where that, there would yeah. be a sizable Jewish population, like like the Caucasus region or like Baltic states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bal Balkans is Europe, but like, but like, maybe like the Middle East, there could be like Christian and Jewish populations mixed in more frequently than in like Western Europe or England. Right, right. Um. So it sounds. To, it, I took it as like a Russian 
or like a Middle Eastern city. Yeah, and that's that's where I that's where I ended on this too. I just I just thought it was weird how like in a town in Asia there's a Christian and Jewish population. I'm like what year is this and where in Asia? Are yeah, we talking I, I was, about? I immediately thought far East too. I was like, so what are we talking about? Like, like China, like <laughs> Mongolia. What, what? I don't, what? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, that was just kind of weird, but yeah, you know, there's certain things that I think we talk about on this podcast where there are, there are things where it's like, Sometimes you can chalk it up to either the author or just like basically the time period in which something was written. What is especially terrible about this, despite how long ago it was written to me, at least, is like people still think this way. Like Mm -hmm. people still like look at Jewish people and are like, you killed Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) The Christ killer. (laughs) And Blender, yeah. that line like comes up at least once in this story. And I'm just, I'm like, wh- why, why are we doing this? Why is this a thing? So, yeah, and, and the, and the idea that all Jews know each other and are in a conspiracy together against Christians. Yeah. It's people still think that all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really brutal aside from that i didn't find this story to be particularly compelling outside of like the racist stuff you know sorry i I said that in a weird way what i mean is there's a lot of times where we're reading something on this podcast let's take narnia for example and you're Mm -hmm. like this story is great and then there's this racism thing that like you you need to address it mm-hmm. but if you could take it out the story would still be great right I the only takeaway i'm having from the priorist's tale is that it was crazy anti-semitic exactly I probably won't remember a single detail a year from now exactly yes so not my favorite story to just like start up um start up a, a weekly reading session on the other unfortunate thing that I was thinking about was like last week I was saying, Oh, I'm psyched. We're going to get like the perspective of one of like the women on in our group. I thought the same thing. And it was just like, Oh fuck me. Like (laughs) seriously, why, why does it have to be like this? I was actually laughing as soon as I read like the description of the wicked Jews in the ghetto of this town. And I was like, Oh no way. Yeah. <laughs> we were so, I know. <laughs> we were actually looking forward to be like, I wonder what a woman's perspective is like in this story. And it's like, it's crazy racist. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, the only okay thing that kind of comes out of this is well, we, I'll let you take it over for the next story, but immediately after the prioress finishes her story, everyone's like, that was a fucking bummer, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we can get right in. There's like, as there often is this little in-between section words of the host to Chaucer here. So everybody like Cody said, is just bummed out by this story, very sobered by this tale. And the host is like, kind of sad about it for a minute but like he can't help himself but like like going right back to like fucking around and making jokes and stuff mm-hmm. so he, he's bullshitting a little bit and then he calls on chaucer now the author of our book 
to tell his own story. And so we get into Chaucer's tale of Sir Topaz. Now, I can't take credit for this analysis, but there is, I was just reading something online. There's kind of interesting ties in between the Prioress's tale and this tale from Chaucer that I'll mention as we go through. So this tale is split into two what is called in the book fits. So this first fit, we start with Sir Topaz, who is a super good-looking, well-dressed, uber-talented knight. He's got money to blow on clothes, greatest wrestler. You know, I'm thinking just like, the Gaston song from Beauty and the Beast when I'm hearing this just a guy. winner. He's just especially well, that's actually that's actually especially astute because he lives in Flanders. So he is French too. So yes. Yeah. So this Sir Topaz, he remains chaste despite the fact that many women apparently are like lying awake in bed at night <laughs> just <laughs> fantasizing about this guy. Wild, wild amounts of horniness for our guy, Sir Topaz. Yeah. Like Chaucer at one point is like, when they should be asleep, there are women who are just like up, staring, staring at their ceilings wide eyed. I, I, I love the visual of like, Sir Topaz walks down the street and that night everyone in their homes like, oh, oh like rolling back and forth, like can't get comfortable. Uh, but he, he remains chaste. Okay, so th- this description of Sir Topaz is the thing that kind of ties a little bit in with the Prioress's tale for two reasons. One, there's this mention of chastity early on, which obviously has something to do with like the Virgin Mary and all of the themes from the previous story. So there's that. There's also this mention of his skin and it's like basically being very pale and described as being pale as this particular kind of bread where frequently at the time images of the Virgin Mary or Jesus would be like imprinted on this particular kind of bread. So I don't know, just weird tidbit for you that I just like came across when doing some research on this. Is that like when some lady burns her toast in Texas and it pops out with like the face of like, like the Our Lady of Guadalupe and then people line up for like two weeks to like see this icon? Right, right. Like, oh my God, I just made a grilled cheese and the leftover burnt (laughs) butter on my skillet looks like the fucking Lady of Guadalupe. Yeah, it. (laughs) that's kind of how I'm thinking. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so... Sir Topaz goes out for a very exhilarating ride one day and he gets to this point where he's riding through the woods and he's hearing like beautiful like bird songs and all of this other stuff and he kind of comes to this decision that like one day he will marry an elf queen. <laughs> that, that That is gonna happen for our guy Sir Topaz. And so because this is possible somehow, I guess he's like, all right, now that I've decided this is what I want, I need to just go find one. Dude, they had no word for mental illness back in the days, but he's just like, I'm going to marry an elf queen. I just need to find her. He just takes on what? So, so our guy, Sir Topaz, 
Shadow faxes off and he's like riding through the woods and runs into this three headed giant who's like, hey, man, this queen elf chick lives back here. You're like trespassing. Stop fronting or I'm going to have to like kill you and your horse. Sir Topaz is like, bet. Let me just go back and get my armor on and I'll be back to skewer you with my lance later. And so Sir Topaz leaves he gets back and like, this is kind of what I like about Chaucer. There's times where it, I like and don't like. There's times where he just like kind of gets away from what's important in the story and just leaves you with a page of kind of unnecessary shit. And there's like a page here about Sir Topaz and like his boys getting suited and booted <laughs> like that's like just and then he he put on his tunic and his mail over it and was wearing like leather boots and everything i'm like i don't i don't fucking care like who cares okay he put his armor on and they feast so he's absolutely fitted at this point and that gets us into no pun intended but the second fit of this story where chaucer starts by saying Sir Topaz sets off back on his journey to go slay this giant. And as Cody was saying at the beginning of this podcast, here's where the host steps in and it's just like, all right, all right, all right. Pump the fucking brakes here, man. I don't want to hear any more of this rhyme shit because for us, the reader, we've been hearing all of these stories in a rhyme scheme. But what I'm assuming is that like Chaucer's actually doing this in rhyme and not in prose. And the host is having none of it. Like he's basically just saying, like, Chaucer, you've got no bars for this story. Can you tell something else? And so Chaucer agrees and apologizes if this next tale he's about to tell has, like, morals that aren't really, like, a new thing for anybody that he's telling the story to, but asks that they indulge him in this next story. Yeah, that was just really funny because we, as, like, are, are we're, Chaucer is the only one who's able to communicate with us through the book. He's mm-hmm. a narrator. He's also a character in the story. And we've been so used to it, like you said, that it's so funny to me that that's just how our guy talks <laughs> yeah. to everyone. <laughs> yeah. And like he's translating their normal stories into rhyme nonsense. <laughs> And it's not just like a bit like you. I also assumed like when he talked to people, he would be like talking normally and not in like a like not like basically like he's not Lin-Manuel Miranda, (laughs) but it sounds like he kind of is. It sounds like my guy is just like, hey, my name's Hamilton. I'm here to say want to be the best rapper in the USA all the time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And the guy's like, no, no, no. Stop it. Stop it. Mm. Cut it out. Then Chaucer's like, fine. And I'm, I just, I like to imagine he's like in court or like a diplomat somewhere, just starts rhyming. And they're like, this guy's a nut. This guy's insane. <laughs> Rhymes everything. Uh, genuinely insane. <laughs> but right. So Chaucer then decides to go into another tale. This is his tale of Melaby. Melaby is a guy and he has a wife. And when they're away, three burglars bust into their house and indiscriminately like like harm their daughter Sophia. Sophia is like very much injured but they don't really describe how um Melaby decides to avenge himself but his wife Dame Prudence 
basically convinces him that vengeance isn't the best way and ask, tells him to, we should, we should get advice before we do this and get, get all the best like ways about dealing with them before going about a violence. Mm-hmm. And you should also know that I also give you good advice to your husband. So you should listen to me when I tell you this. And he's like, okay, eventually they figure out who the three burglars are and they're brought before Dame Prudence. Who's like, I think we should just let this go. Like they're caught. They know they could be hurt. That should be enough of a lesson. Melaby, on the other hand, is like, fine, we'll let them off with a fine. But then Dame Prudence is like, oh, no, 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 we can't do anything to them. Melaby is then like, all right, honey, you're right. I forgive you, burglars. I basically just like renounce you as people. And that's the worst I'm going to do to you, but you're going to get to go free. And I took it as like their public shame at the hands of his forgiveness is like their punishment. Basically that they have to like, have like live with everyone knowing that Melaby forgave them for what he did to their daughter, Sophia, who we kind of don't know what happens to at the end of this. So first of all, this section of our translation of the book is different than anything else we've read. And part of it, I believe is because in the original, uh, like old English, I'm, this is just a guess, but my guess is that Chaucer does go into prose for just this part. Mm -hmm. And then our guy, the guy who's translating this book, Neville Coghill is almost like summarizing for us what this story was. Right. So one of the things that I think is interesting, it like to your point about, about the, like the punishment and kind of lessons learned in this story. So this, this quote is prestige concerned the importance of not making God your enemy to whom vengeance belongs if you reconcile yourself with him, he will reconcile your enemies with you. And so I I don't know. There's a lot of like just kind of back and forth debate that takes up the majority of this story. I don't know. Did you did you like this? Did you enjoy this? I thought it was interesting and I definitely had to read it twice to kind of grasp what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was like a pretty cool moral. It's like your classic Jesus turn the other cheek one where it's and and again, again, a lot of these morals are pretty much just like direct parallels of what was in the Bible because it was so crucial. It's like pretty much the only stories that people really had back in the day if they weren't literate. So they're pretty, pretty commonly biblical. And yeah, this one, like, hey, vengeance belongs to the big guy. It's your job to turn the other cheek. It's your job to forgive let him deal out the rest. So, right. Right. Yeah. I, I actually, I really liked it because it was just kind of a nice break from all of the rhyming. And it was just kind of nice to be like, all right, I'm just going to read a little bit of oh, like yeah, cruise regular it. language for a second here. <laughs> yeah. But the, my, <laughs> my favorite part of this is after this tale of Melaby the host chimes back in and is like, yo, my wife needs to hear this story because like, she's telling me that I'm a fucking coward all the time. And I need to like stand up for her and like fight dudes. And I don't want to do that. So like Chaucer, do me a favor and tell my wife this story. Anyway, the host goes on to be like, 
hey, monk, it's story time. All right. What do you got? By the way, you're like kind of hot as shit. Like, why are you a monk when you could be like out here with all the rest of us lay people chasing people? (laughs) There you go. Yeah. The monk doesn't take any offense at any of the jokes that the host is, is saying and explains to everybody that he's got some tragedies that he'd like to go through. Mm. Now, yeah, she sure does. Yes. He apologizes in advance if some of the timelines are off. And I would just like to ask the monk to apologize for something else. <laughs> Come up with better stories, man. <laughs> okay. So Paul and I aren't going to go through all these stories because about four in, I realized these are all just brief summarizations of famous historical figures, either from the Bible or history, who were very fortuitous early in our knowings of them, and then their life ended tragically. Now, the monk attributes this to their fortune. This is like a monk, priest, vow of poverty, I assume, lesson to be learned like if you reach it's like the icarus thing it's like if you want to reach the highest heights you're going to have to fall down back to earth at some point yeah so he goes through like lucifer the brightest angel fell from heaven adam very first man sinned along with eve banished from eden hercules famously did the 12 trials strongest man in history was poisoned and killed samson strongest of gods judges and heroes hair was cut strength lost died I mean, you got Alexander the Great, the best to ever do it. No one could conquer like my guy, Alexander, poisoned, womp. Like just the list goes on and on. Yeah. And I think also important to mention that throughout a lot of these, especially some of the early ones, like you get into some of like the Julius Caesar, Alexander stuff. Not all of it is is the same, but like there is a tale about Holofernes who, again, great conqueror, captain. He's decapitated in his tent one night by a woman named Judith. We have another situation where, like you said, Cody, Samson is betrayed by his wife who cuts off his hair and takes his strength. We're talking about Adam in the fall of man, which it's like hinted at that, okay, who's to blame here? Kind of like Eve, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's throughout a lot of this, it's pretty telling that so many of these stories have some aspect of like a woman is like either scheming against you or it's her fault that shit went wrong. Right. Disavow. Super doesn't take into account a lot of the stories anyway. Like Julius Caesar was a dictator betrayed by a bunch of guys. Alexander (laughs) the Great was probably gay. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and like was killed by dudes like so it's just he likes to have it both ways the monk one of the stories that i was actually interested in that i hadn't heard before was queen zenobia cody mm-hmm. had you heard that one before i had not why don't you dive into it a little bit so this is i mean this is a super super high level version of this but zenobia was this badass persian queen who liked 
basically from a young age, she was like, I don't want to do any of that girly princess shit. Like give me a bow and arrow and I'm going to go out in the woods and fucking hunt for stuff. And so she like grows into being like a woman and decides like what she wants to do is go fight lions in her spare time. (laughs) And so she's like on top of shit. She eventually, eventually gets married to this guy, uh, Odinathus, and they have like what's described as a bland, but like happy marriage where they kind of learn to love each other, but she's keeping him at like arm's length. doesn't want to have sex with him unless it's to like have kids, but it ends as all of these do. It ends horribly after her husband dies. She gets conquered by like Romans and she gets enslaved and stuff. I just thought it was a cool story of something that I hadn't heard. Unlike a lot of these other ones where it's like, there's just this Persian queen running around fighting fucking bears and shit. Her. Yeah. Her story was also like, it made no sense in the context of the rest of them. Cause a lot of them are like, their downfall can directly be attributed either to like the, the unfortunate circumstance of like the woman betrayer, or it's like Julius Caesar and Nero where it's like, Hey, this is your fault, dude. <laughs> like Alexander yeah. the great, his men are like, Hey man, we've been conquering Asia for like a decade. Can I go home and see my kids? They're going to be like 11 now. Mm-hmm. And Alexander's like, absolutely not there's another village over there and i want you to wipe it out and rename it alexander (laughs) and they're like i don't want to do this anymore and then like they're like like all right alexander we've spent eight months trying to climb over the goddamn hindu kush and go to afghanistan i I think we should turn around he's like all right we'll turn around but i'm not happy about it and i'm probably gonna like kill some guys on our way back to macedonia because of it like this guy gotta go he's gotta go (laughs) Okay, let me let me just do a quick count. So there is Lucifer, Adam, Samson, Hercules, Nebuchadnezzar, Belhazar, Zenobia, King Peter of Spain, King Peter of Cyprus, Bernabo Visconti of Lombardy, Count Agolino, Agolino. I mean, Agolino, dude. Unfortunate. Stuff. Change it. Agolino of Pisa, Nero, Holofernes, King Anti. I mean, King something, Alexander, Julius Caesar, Croesus. Okay, so we're at like, what, 20-something of these stories, right? Somewhere King around. Antiochus the Illustrious. Yes, thank you. We're at a boatload of these stories, and our guy, the monk, is willing to give more. He's like, I have more. But luckily, I have more. I luckily have more. for us, the knight and the host are like, hey, man, you're bumming everyone out. The knight is like, can can someone tell me a funny story? Yeah. Like the knight like gave like the super long, very intense story that brought a tear to everyone's eye. It was like really majestic, followed up by the Miller's tale. Everyone had a great time. And every, he's like, hey, can we go back to when me and the Miller were fucking killing it at the beginning <laughs> of this trip? Because you guys are a bunch of bummers. Yeah, and so like this is this is part of the reason Cody where uh or why I think most people who have read Canterbury Tales in school read selections from the mm. Canterbury Tales. Correct. And not the whole thing. Because you talk to somebody about Canterbury Tales they're like I was just talking to my dad about this and he's like, oh yeah, the Miller's tale. It's great. Like, it's awesome. It is great. Yeah. Like, dad, did you ever read the cook's tale though? <laughs> like, fuck no, no. 
So we're, it might be a good idea. It might be a good way to identify people with bad opinions, though. If you're like, if you're like, hey, did you ever read uh, Canterbury Tales? And they're like, oh yeah, dude, Priorus's tale is so good. I'd be like, hmm, <laughs> hmm, <laughs> interesting. Thanks. But you have some bad opinions about other things too. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. All right. Um, <laughs> moving on. So the Mel. host, <laughs> the host moves the storytelling uh, popcorn stick over to the priest. It's just like, yo, <laughs> our father, please save us. And so, we get into the nun's priest's tale. Uh, and Cody, we can go back and forth on this one. This is a, a little bit longer. And, bit longer. and I think it is a little bit more, a little bit more fun. It um, is more fun. Yeah. So there is this poor old widow again. Uh, and she has two lot of widows. Yeah. Lots of widows. And she has two daughters. Apparently, nobody has sons in any of these stories, you know? Unless they're going to get killed by Jews, so. There you go, yes. Um, poor old wid- widow with two daughters. She's got a few cows, a sheep named Molly. And I just wanted to call that out because we learned the name of her sheep before we learned the name of the widow or either of her children. <laughs> I Also, quick time out. Is it, is it like a thing that like, like it's like also the the sexist trope that like having daughters sucks because they can't help like work or something like that maybe like if like at least like a young boy you can like put him in front of a plow and help him like go <laughs> figure it out like yeah i wouldn't doubt or it or they wouldn't they they wouldn't let daughters like learn a trade or something like that that, that that's kind of like what i think it's supposed to like add to her destitution is that she's like cursed with having daughters like yeah. that's not that's not good right right that makes sense to me but this widow has this chicken, this rooster named mm-hmm. Chanticleer. And this story is going to primarily revolve around him and his relationship with his seven hen wives, one named Pertelote. Pertelote? 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 Yeah, sure. There we go. Okay. There's no accents. There's right. no accents for me. Like if this was in Spanish, I'd be able to figure that out. Yeah. It's spelled P-E-R-T-E-L-O-T-E. And so I'm mm-hmm. just like, all right, there's a lot of Greek influence in this story. I'm just wondering if I'm supposed to pronounce that last E. Yeah, I think we are. Anyway, so one day Chanticleer has this really bad dream and he's like tossing and turning basically and like moaning and groaning because this dream is so bad. Yeah, it's like you saw Sir Topaz. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Pertilote wakes him up and asks him about it. And Chanticleer explains that, hey, this beast in my dream came into our yard and wanted to eat me, wanted me dead. And Pertilote is like not impressed with this and is like, what? Like, are, are you fucking kidding me? My husband is going to be like, tossing and turning at night and scared of a dream like where's your courage like you're an absolute coward dude like why am i hitched to you this is a really rough stuff yeah and she she's like all right here's what we're gonna do we're not gonna worry anymore about dreams and also you're gonna take this like laxative that i'm gonna put together to help you sleep and here 
Cody, I'll pass it to you because we get into this debate about whether or not we should be trusting dreams as an indication of anything real. Right. So I am a little sympathetic to my guy Chanticleer because, you know, you've had a nightmare before. You know when it's like actually awful and you wake up like in an actual sweat and it like basically ruins your ability to go back to sleep for another hour because you're so shook from it. Of course. The last thing I would want to hear is like, pussy, <laughs> go take like some fucking butt pills and figure it out. Like figure out your gas that's giving you nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the joke side of it. But I did enjoy the little conversation they had about, you know, kind of going back and forth on what, whether or not you should trust dreams is like visions almost, I guess was kind of like, cause they keep describing it as like Chanticleer's vision. And we have a different connotation of that than like that more dream sense of the word. I mean, dreams are always like your brain putting in context, the world around it, whether that's like stress or memories or sometimes really random stuff that doesn't make any sense until you wake up and you're like, what the fuck was I in that situation? Or that was obviously like not real, Mm -hmm. but you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's your brain kind of processing things. And you know, the description of the beast that is going to come after him was like a lean red carnivore canis style animal. He was just describing a Fox, like Mm -hmm. he's a rooster. He's there to protect hens. His number one fear should be a Fox in a hen house. Yep. So it's not necessarily that he was like predicting the future or anything. It's just a natural anxiety of a rooster to be afraid of his number one thing. So it's like he was basically having a bad work dream, you know? Right. You know, when you have right. a dream when you're like, oh, I'm, I'm about to go into this meeting at work, but I'm butt naked and this is terrible. Where the hell did my clothes go? That's what he was having. Yeah. And he's basically trying to tell his beloved wife, uh, Pertolotti, that this is a valid thing to worry about. Like, Mm -hmm. there is actual history of these this dream situation becoming true. And he gives a couple examples. The first of which being these two travelers who are like, trying to find a place to stay to sleep for the night. They can't find a place together, so they split up. One of the travelers ends up sleeping like in a barn, basically, with like some ox, and the other guy ends up finding a bed. And so the guy in the bed goes to sleep, and he has this repeat nightmare of his traveling companion basically telling him like, hey, I'm going to die tonight. I'm going to die tonight. And the last time he has this nightmare that night, it's his companion telling him, when you get up, go find this basically like manure cart on the outskirts of town and you're going to find my dead body in it. And so this guy wakes up, he goes, can't find his traveling companion. So then he finds this manure cart and lo and behold, finds his friend's dead body in there who was killed for whatever money he had on him, right? So this is one example of Chanticleer like, hey, that happened. Why can't this be a thing, (laughs) right? Okay, Chanticleer, bad example. (laughs) Yeah. That is pretty anecdotal. Give it to you, but... But don't worry, Cody. He has more anecdotes to support his claim. (laughs) 
So another Pretty one is like a guy he wants he and his buddy are like going to go on this sailing expedition and he has this dream the night before they're supposed to go that's saying like hey there's going to be a storm don't go you're going to die. And so he wakes up tells his buddy hey we should wait at least a day because if we leave today we're going to hit bad weather and we're going to die. His friend doesn't listen to him. He takes off in the boat. He dies. So Chanticleer's like look there's two examples of this being the case. And also, have you read the Bible? Ever heard of a guy named Joseph? Great musical. I don't, I don't know if you've heard uh, Pertolodi, but like... Donnie Osmond's life work. Are you telling me that he's wrong? Donnie lied to me and you through the wonderful music and lyrics of Andrew Lloyd Webber? I don't fucking think so, Pertolodi. <laughs> yeah, I'm back in bed. I'm... I'm right. <laughs> so they kind of like come to like the end of this with uh, Chanticleer being like, all right, like this is just how it works with dreams. Sometimes you have to like kind of keep them in mind. By the way, I'm not taking your God awful laxative. So drop that shit. <laughs> and then we like fast forward a little bit to one day Chanticleer and co are hanging out in the yard and a Fox gets in. Oh, Yes. And Chaucer does this super annoying thing here where it's like, ooh, Fox is in, in the hen house. What's going to happen here? But instead, he interrupts his own story to talk about like what foresight means in the context of free will. And also, <laughs> like, what is it about women always giving terrible advice? It's just like this record scratch moment where Fox is in the hen house. But quick, let's talk about free will and women. Dude, can we just? So I'm not gonna belabor that anymore. Anyway, there's this fox in the hen house. It was really. It was like, oh, what? Yes, it's so weird. So fox is in the hen house, and Enchanticleer sees this fox, and the fox is like, "Hey, are you afraid of me? I'm just here to listen to you sing, man. You've got a great voice. I hear it every morning. I just want to hear you sing." Chanticleer is like so flattered that he doesn't run. Instead, he closes his eyes stretches out his neck and starts doing his rooster call. And this fox takes that opportunity, grabs him by the neck and just takes off running. So with that, we have like all of the hens going crazy. And it's like compared to like Greek tragedies of like women crying (laughs) over their lost like husbands and shit. And the widow and her daughters and a bunch of the other animals are all chasing after the fox. Chanticleer, while in the fox's like death grip in his mouth, says to him like, hey, man, you're kind of like in the clear here. You could even shout back at all those people chasing you like, hey, I'm in the forest now. This is my domain. I'm going to eat this guy wherever the hell I damn well please. When the fox goes to like, speak and make an answer to this chanticleer escapes his jaws flies up into a tree and then the fox tries to get him to come down again but chanticleer won't be fooled by the fox again and the story kind of ends there with chanticleer in the clear and the fox without his you know lunch or whatever right I do want to make a note that the fox has a name, Don Russell. (laughs) I just thought that was really funny. Hilarious. Because the other one's like Chanticleer, Chanticleer, and like Pertolote, and he's like Don Russell. (laughs) Fucking fox. I just thought that was hilarious. I like the story. It read way more like, okay, take out the weird like 
anecdotal what do dreams mean evidence for why I don't need to take a X-lax right now, honey. <laughs> um, and also the um, free will and don't listen to women, like weird little like stanza yeah. <clears throat> that Chaucer gives. So just completely remove that. Uh huh. I I read this as a very charming little like like barnyard like nursery rhyme story. almost like yeah. like yeah almost like that like yes I thought it was really fun um it was just extremely bizarre <laughs> extremely <laughs> so. bizarre like even for Chaucer stories like even for this for this book I was like this is very very strange you mentioned this briefly Cody but like <laughs> I I don't know. There was a lot of discussion from Pertolote about how Chanticleer's gas is what's causing his nightmares. Yeah, like 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 he ate some like he ate like pizza that was too old, like pepperoni pizza, <laughs> and now he's like having like bad nightmares. Here, take the suppository. <laughs> Let's yeah, talk take in the like, yeah, take like a take like an ammonium or like a like a like some tums. Yeah, yeah, that'll fix your nightmare situation. Also, again, it was like a super valid thing. It'd be like, it'd be like, oh, yeah, like I'm like, if you were like a, let's say you're like a firefighter and it is your fucking life to put out fires and save people in burning buildings and in situations like that. Yeah, you had a nightmare about burning in a building that, that your house, that your house was on fire and you couldn't like save anyone. Yeah. And your wife was like, you're a fucking coward. <laughs> I'd be like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I might also pull up some nonsense from the Bible to be like, don't give me Tums. I don't want Tums. I just want to like be supported. I just had a <laughs> <laughs> You're a fucking coward. Uh, they use the word coward. In they do. They do. Like, what is this? Uh-huh. Okay. I'm a, I'm a goddamn rooster and I'm afraid of foxes. <laughs> I think that's warranted. <laughs> totally valid. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's let's move this along. So the host loves this story. Uh and again, throws in some weird shit. Like, I don't know what his deal is with trying to like convert priests back to like being just lay single dudes. But he's like, hey, he just needs friends. <laughs> too bad you're a priest because and like he says this himself. He's like, you do pretty well with some like quote hens of your own. Like, dude, get out of here. But then we have less of a, like a seamless transition into the next one. And we just get right into the physician telling his tale. Right. So I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw that we were reading the physician's tale, I was fucking psyched. Can't wait to see what this total fraud doctor <laughs> As for like his big lesson, this was the only one where I was like, I was actually looking forward for like a bad story. Yeah. yeah. I was like, like, of all these other ones, I'm like, oh God, are you serious? Like, what is this? Like, like, why are you saying like wicked Jews? Like, oh my God. Like, I'm just like, kind of like, oh Jesus. But as soon as I saw the physician show, I'm like, I can't wait for what nonsense this guy (laughs) is going to spit at me. So we meet Virginius a knight. He's got one kid, a daughter, Virginia. As with all these stories, Guy's got a gorgeous daughter. And not only is she gorgeous, but she's like super proper. She's got all the noble virtues. It's great. Uh, one day in town, there's this judge named like Appius, Appius. I think Appius. We're doing Greek pronunciation, so I'm just going to go with Appius. Okay. Catches sight of her and is like, I'm in love, as all dudes are in this time in the world. 
And he's like, I will have her at any cost. I need to get like a soundboard to just start inserting like Looney Tunes, horny dude sound effects. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the sound of a mallet hitting your own head <laughs> the, out of just. Pure, yeah. We needed a wooga <laughs> horn. We needed a wooga horn for whatever time a guy in one of these stories is just horny on Maine. for someone. They just like seen like out a window and just like, there she is. There is my love. Uh, sorry okay. to interrupt. Keep going. So, so, okay. So, so this guy's a judge, remember? And to, to get this girl, he's like, <laughs> I know what I'll do. Instead of using my wealth and status to like court her, I'm going to hire some absolute criminals. <laughs> One of these guys, like this, this dude who's like, I think he's like a guard technically, but he's like famous for being a total scumbag, Claudius. Well, I just, I looked this up, Cody, because I think what you're referring to is the word blackguard. B-L-A-C-K-G-A-U-R. Blackguard. Is that a different word? I assumed it was like an actual like... That's what I I felt so dumb because I looked this up and immediately I was like, oh yeah, it's literally just like referring to somebody who's kind of like irreputable. Okay, so here's the thing. Yeah. That actually makes it way worse because I thought he was like (laughs) someone who like worked for him. So then you can be like, hey, I got like a chore for you to do. Now it's like, no, he just hired some dude who's famous (laughs) for being an ass, Claudius. And he's like, we're going to capture this girl. All right. So one day before court, Apias and Claudius, or one day before, so we're in Apias's court. Claudius falsely accuses Virginius of having like kidnapped his own daughter, Virginia, from his house. Like, that's not your daughter. That's my servant girl. And you've been keeping her all these years and pretending she's your daughter. Virginius doesn't even have the opportunity to defend himself because the judge is like, I've heard enough. Get her in here. Mm-hmm. We're going to settle this now. And Virginia's is like, what the fuck is going on? He goes home and calls his daughter. He's like, basically like, he's like, either you're going to like accept death or shame at the hands of these guys, Claudius and Apias. Virginia says, basically, I will die a virgin before I take on the shame of this kangaroo court <laughs> that they are currently trying to fabricate against us, father. Oh my God. So then she basically, you're going to have to explain to me what exactly happens. Cause it mentions that she like kind of like passes out or whatever, but regardless, yeah. Virginius cuts off his daughter's head. Yeah. Just is like, I'm in honey. We're not letting this happen. Whack kills his own daughter. Virginius returns to the judge and brings him her head and is like, here, I did what you said. I brought my daughter before you. The judge is like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> You're getting hanged for murder now. But this this judge orchestrating this absolute kangaroo court with the like worst guy in town. Ha- and then now taking this like noble knight, like basically driving him to this act of insanity. Mm-hmm. The town completely uprises. The judge gets thrown in jail. They're going to do a lynch mob on Claudius. But the knight <laughs> pleads for mercy and is like, we should just exile them instead. Yep. Yeah. And the so the physician then concludes his tale with this moral, the wages of sin is death. And basically everyone will be forsaken for your sins. And you should let other people get forsaken for them instead of taking action against them. That's kind of like what I took away as like his moral of the story. And I'm not going to lie, Paul, I I was hoping for something fucked up and dumb from the physician (laughs) and buddy, 
Mission accomplished. Oh, Thine seal delivered. He did not disappoint. This was a nonsense story, dude. <laughs> As we've... Uh, here, here's the thing. When I saw Physician Sale, I was thinking similar to you, Cody. I was like, ooh, let's get some bad doctor shit going here. And unfortunately, it's not like bad doctor in the sense of like poor medical treatment. But Yeah, I was hoping for that too. It still applies here where it's like... The physician clearly thinks that the best option for this kid's child is just like lop her head off and let's move this shit along. Oh, yeah. I I wonder how he like treats people in his like surgery room. Just like just like, you know what your kid needs for this like cut that's gotten infected? Just a little bit of mercury. Yeah, he's going to do great. Just a little bit of daddy's liquid metal. I want the knight to look at the physician and be like, hey, man, you've been my kid's pediatrician for years. What's going on with this Dude, story? the knight's probably like, yes, <laughs> correct. Yeah. I don't understand your mysterious scientific ways, my lord, but I must let you know that you definitely helped us when you made that potion for my wife's gout. <laughs> and then it kind of went away. The bar is so low for doctors back in the day. That if you could like break someone's fever, they were like this fucking guy. He's got it. He's got the touch. He's got the juice. I also like to imagine that we're on our way to Canterbury and everyone's on their horse telling their story. And even though he told this whole tale, I like to imagine that no one understood a thing because he's wearing the big bird (laughs) doctor, plague doctor mask the whole time. And he's just like, I love you. And Virginia is on his what is the desolate? No one can understand a single thing. Just and he's just wearing the bird mask the whole time. What I'm bummed out about a little bit is like we get to hear from the host basically after every single story. I'm a little bit upset that like the Miller hasn't chimed back in because the last time we checked, this guy was three sheets to the wind at 10 a.m. it would make sense if he was just asleep on his horse just (laughs) unconscious rocking back and forth gentle reins the horse is just following the horse in front of it just like slow trot he's just in a deep sleep oh yes (laughs) but that's basically where we're ending today uh we have one little last little section words of the host to the physician and the partner where the host is basically like bummed out again about this like girl getting decapitated in this story and tells the doctor again like like when he was talking to the man of law he's like working in all of this like industry specific jargon he's like doctor you're gonna have to medicate me after that one like okay okay dude but they set up our episode next week for a tale from the partner which we will start with next time So, Cody, thoughts as a whole on this edition of the Canterbury Tales? It was a bizarre stretch. Yes. It was a little bizarre. I'd be lying if I said I didn't uh, skim a lot of the monk's tale. Oh, bro. But uh, the rest of it, I was was at least, like, you know, kind of locked in on it. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was so funny that Chaucer breaks his own fourth wall and mentions the rhyme scheme. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. And it's 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 interesting just how he's flowing in and out of people. Um, I thought at the beginning he would use the host as kind of the avatar, but it's clear that he still considers himself the narrator of this of the avatar and the host is his own guy. Um, mm-hmm. We're just kind of learning more about everyone. And I like that 
I like that this story isn't just like cookie cutter. Everything is different. The lengths of the stories are all different. Um, it's just really unique. I've really enjoyed it too. I, I think the uh, that Monk's Tale was just an absolute slog to get through. And I'm, I just, I don't understand why it was as long as it was. Like cut that in half at least. Like we get it. But yeah, I think for the most part, it's, it's just interesting hearing from all of these different kinds of people and thinking about like how the morality has been or like what like what people found interesting in like moral lessons at the time where you can look at a story like this last phys- physician's tale and people are genuinely like in agreement that Virginius did the right thing by killing his daughter you know so yeah. crazy stuff um we have a few more of these episodes to do we're about halfway through the book right now uh a little bit mm, yeah just about halfway through the book so we've got a few more of these episodes to do but until then Cody do you have a stockade or indulgence for the week so we we established last week mm-hmm. blanket stockade yeah. For any dated material that would otherwise not that would otherwise we would put in the stockade. So this is a book written over 700 years ago. We're, we're putting all of it in there. The treatment of women, the now anti-Semitism does it's automatically stockaded. We're going into something else. Um, my only stockade other than that is probably going to be the fact that in the physician's tale, we didn't get any like hilariously terrible medical procedures. Yeah. I was so looking for, we might get it later in the book. Uh, Everyone has to do another one, I think. Um, Or maybe not. I don't know if we never get back to this guy and we don't hear more, or if we don't hear another story about a physician, I'm going to be bummed. Yeah. I'm going to be bummed, but that's my stockades. My indulgence was probably um, other than the weird interlude about like gas Mm. and like why women are bad at giving advice. I thought the, the Chanticleer tale um, was really fun. I thought it was the most kind of like traditional, I don't know, like it felt like a middle ages barnyard tale. It felt really unique compared to all the other stories we've done. So the nun's priest tale, just the concept of like the rooster in the yard. We're, we're, we're going to learn about an animal today. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I, I like that too. Um, So obviously I agree with you on our blanket stockade, the anti-Semitism, the sexist stuff. It's not... Not good. My stockade, if I didn't make this clear earlier, was just reading through all of the monk's tale. Uh, <laughs> the uh, frankly, like what's tough about it is that most of the stories that he's telling, I already know. And the problem is when I'm like, if I were reading the Canterbury Tales just for my own pleasure and enjoyment, I might just skip that section entirely. Because sure. it's like, I kind of know what the deal is here. I, After reading the first few, I know that there's not a real story involved in any of this stuff. And so I can just kind of like skip ahead or skim at least. But when doing it for the podcast, I feel like compelled to like read everything and like take notes where I can on stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, this is a fucking just an absolute slog. So... Monk's Tale for me, Stockade. My indulgence for the week has a lot to do with the Monk's Tale, and it's just the interruptions from the knight and the host in that case. But 
on a larger scale, just the host in general this week was like mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts because he just has a way of like bringing in a little bit of like comic relief to things that just makes like the little in between moments between stories really enjoyable, kind of brings you back to the real world, adds a little levity to some of the stories. It's really nice. Yeah, the the you're you're super right about that. The host makes this all one story and not just a collection of fables. Right. Yep. So we're adding up our totals in terms of tales for this story. So I'm thinking, Cody, do you have a top three stories that we've read so far? It's I think it's still gotta be Knight Miller and then I wanna put the nun's priest tale somewhere in my top five. I don't know if it cracks top three. Yeah. But I like the nun's priest. Tale. I thought it was just so different. And it's just this classic like barnyard animals outsmarting each other. And there is some like decent dream talk in there, but a lot of it is like under the facade of like roosters having gas. And then there's the weird like f- fucking women, right, guys? Right. Like comments like, I want to make it higher, but I can't with that. That's pretty much the only one I'd throw up there. Yeah. Mine would probably be similar. So it's like Miller, probably Miller one, Knight two, Man of Law three. That one was still really good. Yeah. And then, you know, four and five are, you know, kind of up for grabs in terms of like Nun's Priest Tale was really good. I also really liked the, um, the Reeves tale. Um, yeah. So four or five, whatever on honorable mention, but we're, we're pretty in lockstep, I think in terms of our, our top, top two, uh, run, runner up stockade for this week. I wanted to hear the rest of the Sir Topaz story. I was yeah. Into it. Me too. We've got a night. He's never got back to it. I was, what the fuck? We've got a night going to kill a giant and we're just going to end because we don't like the rhyme scheme. Yeah, he like dreamed up this elf princess lady and it turns out she's fucking real. Yeah. Okay. And part of me was like, hey, um, host, fuck you. I'm reading all of these rhymes the entire time. You can deal with it for a story. Yeah, yeah, dude. Just just shut up and like, deal with it like the rest of us. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to like have to like basically turn off the part of my brain that adds in a stop at the end of each physical line of text because if I don't, it will take me three times as long to read the goddamn story, but I do. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much rhyming in this. Otherwise, I do read it like it's a fucking Hamilton song. (laughs) My name is Hamilton here to say. Uh, With that, I think we can sign off for the week. Like I said, next week, we will start with the Pardoner's Tale. Looking forward to that. Until then, this has been the Bibliotheques Podcast. We'll see you next time. 